Welcome, everyone, to the CapsCorner.com podcast, CapsCorner.com, your source for Virginia sports. I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CapsCorner.com, coming to you live from the Palatial Franklin Estates in the west end of Richmond, where it is Thursday, January the 4th, 2018, our first podcast in the new year. Uh, it is cold outside. It is windy. Uh, there's, at least where I am, snow on the ground. Uh, those folks in the uh, eastern portion of Virginia who are listening to this podcast probably under a lot more snow uh, right now than uh, than any of us are. But um, was uh, it's been an interesting week, uh, to say the least, on the sports front. And plenty has happened since the last time uh, we recorded a show for you tonight. Um, we're going to talk about hoops. Obviously, a, a huge win for the Cavaliers last night in Blacksburg. Um, and I, I think a, a much uh, a much less um, uh, competitive game than many of us expected. Um, especially, I, I mean, I, I can speak for myself, and I, I definitely did not re- expect Virginia to, to roll um, in Blacksburg last night. Uh, we'll also preview uh, Saturday afternoon's showdown with North Carolina. A little shine taken off. Since the, since the Tar Heels went down last night um, uh, to Bunny Hamilton's um, group uh, from Tallahassee, uh, but we'll also touch. Uh, obviously, this is the first podcast we've had, we've done since the bowl game, so we'll also talk a little football to start. Um, so before we get started, let me go around and introduce everybody um, once again for for tonight. Everybody is staff writer Justin Ferber up in Arlington. How are you, my friend? Doing all right. Doing all right. Um, just transitioning into basketball season, man. <laughs> Full speed ahead. Yeah, no doubt. At Justin underscore Ferber on Twitter, as always. And uh, Cavs Corner, also on Twitter. Cavs underscore Corner. Great place for our in-game updates, content items, and the occasional uh, random uh, stuff from Castle Coliseum. I have to admit. Also, yeah, I mean, also, one more thing real quick. Um, if people want to go back and look at some humorous tweets, if your day isn't going so well, then go to at MBB and go back to November and December and see some of the things that they posted about how good they were and uh, you'll get a good chuckle out of that one. Okay, this is that's a, that's really on brand right now because I was about to say there's a there's a point in the game where I become comfortable that Virginia's going to win and I definitely start to tweet to my audience, right? I definitely start like cracking jokes at the opponent's expense like last night I said something I think I even said that the people from Castle were starting to meander down to the exits which was one of my uh, more appropriate word choices uh, in quite a while. Uh, yeah, so for those of, for those folks who might not uh, be well-versed in the um, um, sort of old takes exposed aspect of Twitter, it's never a good look to say things demonstrably about something that can be later used against you. So, for example, I forget who, who did Tech play. And it's it's okay to be wrong, but not in, like the way they did it was just not in dumb. an annoying fashion. You it's know, like it's like a basically lot of chest thumping. Yeah, you can't you can't like go you can't go out there and be like this period team period can period score period or against th- the Citadel. All right, or Virginia Tech is good at basketball and not expect that when you only score fifty two points um, and you get housed on your home floor um, that you're not going to get trolled. So they, they earned it. They earned it. And, uh, to the dude who was behind the media seats last night, I mean, every time Kyle got to a shot and missed, I mean, he just screamed. Like it wasn't even like just normal. Like I, it was like, he, it was like Kyle guy embodied everything this kid wished he was or something. I don't know. It was, there was a lot going on. I felt like I needed to, 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 to get this kid a shrink. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll talk hoops in a second. Let's, let's circle back around to the, I guess the, more uncomfortable conversation um, around basketball. I, I mean, excuse me, football. Obviously, my mind's already my mind's already trying to make the transition. So, Cavaliers come out in the military bowl and, and just get absolutely thumped. I mean, just get absolutely thumped. We all thought Virginia would win a close game. Um, we all thought that Virginia's um, past exploits, so to speak, under Bronco Hall against the triple option would carry. Um, neither one of those things. Uh, came to be I, I don't want to get into because I mean you know score was what it was I, I'm not going to get into like the the nuts and bolts of why Virginia lost that game other than to say in my belief um, when you're not right against an option team because of the nature of the option itself it snowballs in a way that I, I don't think it happens uh, against you know spread teams or um, even pro style offenses uh, an option team can make you pay continually and it and it does sort of get exponential at some point. But Ferber and I had this uh sort of 
long range sort of conversation as we were driving down from Annapolis that night um, about sort of where things are in 2018. And I kind of want to start with you, Justin. I want to kind of let you sort of take the stage and sort of frame it because I thought you did a really nice job of that as we were having that conversation. So what we were sort of talking about was as the Cavaliers sort of transitioned from 17 to 18, um, uh, this conversation was essentially the impetus for the forecast series that I'm starting, right? The looking at each position by position um, because I thought it was interesting because you're not just changing personnel. There's also some scheme tweaks and things. But in general, generally speaking, as you look to, 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 to I guess, what is now this fall, um, how, how, where's your mind um, on, on this sort of transition and where the Cavaliers are versus where they need to go and, and how it kind of works itself out? I mean, obviously the bowl game kind of leaves a sour taste in your mouth. And I think we've talked about it before on the podcast where, you know, the record can sometimes mean different things depending on how you got to that mark. Um, you know, it's not necessarily how you, if you win five games or six games or eight games, it's, you know, how you got there and, and how you look doing it, um, can make a big difference, especially if you're having a season like UVA had, um, I mean, you can have a six and six season that feels like an uptick and, you know, a trend in the right direction and, you know, a trend towards competitiveness, um, and you can also have a six and six season that feels like you just beat up on bad teams um, you can have a six and six season like Florida State had this year, where it feels like a disappointment considering expectations. I'd say UVA season was probably somewhere between that first one, where you know it's an uptick in uh, the direction of the program, and the second one. Um, I, I, obviously, they beat a pretty good Boise State team that I think ended up winning ten games after their bowl game. Um, other than that, I mean, they beat a Duke team that that went to a bowl game and won their bowl game with uh, seven total wins. Uh, and I mean, they beat a Georgia tech team that didn't end up being bowl eligible. Um, I, I think that they did some good things on the defensive side of the ball. They were, they were better in spots there. I mean, even in the tech game, obviously that result didn't go the way people wanted it to go, but they held tech to 10 points and, and showed some resolve in that game. Um, whatever resolve they showed in that game, they didn't show against Navy. Um, but like you said, I would attribute a lot of that to the option scheme and, and things kind of just start rolling downhill sometimes when you're playing against an option team. But I mean, honestly, my big things going forward are, uh, we talked about this a little bit after the bowl game on the way back, but you know, if you're going to be a team that's looking to improve and go from, you know, two wins, four wins, whatever, to consistent bowl appearances and, and more competitive football, I think you need to have less of these swings where, um, you know, they had some good moments, like the Boise State game, they blew them out. Um, they scored a bunch of points. They scored a bunch of points in the win against Georgia Tech. They obviously blew out UConn. Um, but then on the flip side, you know, not only did they lose to Boston College, Pittsburgh, and Navy, they got whooped by those teams. And those, I mean, Navy, you know, they were a bowl team, you know, good for them. Boston College, obviously. But that game was at home. And and the other two were, I mean, games that either they could have won or should have won if they had just been a more consistent team. So I think the onus is on the coaching staff to try to, you know, you know, Bronco talked a lot about last year about, um, you know, trying to get rid of some of that, like, losing mentality and the woe is me attitude when things go wrong. But it seems like some of that is still lingering. And, uh, you know, there's some games where they just came out and, and we were talking about it, you know, we'll know in the first, second quarter if they're going to be competitive in this game because sometimes they just right out of the gate just got floored. And, I mean, after the kick return, that's pretty much what happened against Navy. We just didn't know until, you know, maybe at the end of the second quarter that that's how it was going to go. But I think uh, Robert and I is under a, a considerable amount of pressure going into this season to show that some of the things that he wants to change and, and do going forward are actually going to be the difference. Um, because, again... You can lose a game, you can lose a bowl game, you can lose to your rival even. I mean, obviously people don't want that to happen, but Tech was a ranked team, it happens. Um, but you can't not score for nine plus quarters. It's just, even the bad teams score points. That You know, it's just, it's kind of, there has to be a little bit more consistency, even if that means the highs aren't as high. But the lows just can't be this low going forward. One thing you said that night, I don't well, actually. Did you say it that night, or was it before that? Um, was it something to the idea that what Virginia really needs is to basically be more consistently decent, 
right? Exactly. Yeah, right. And so as we sort of extrapolate that out and look towards sort of the things that they're losing, so we forecast already looked at quarterback. We know we know a lot be based on personnel, at least in terms of what they're bringing in. We know Kurt Benkirk's not coming back, regardless of whether or not that, that mythical year was still out there that he could have applied for had had he been still at ECU or whatever. Um, Brendan Armstrong and Bryce Perkins are coming in. Um, the way Bronco talked in that final media opportunity before the bowl game, it certainly did sound like uh, that um, that he at least believes that uh, that Lindell Lindell Stone is number three that he and Devonte cross are basically battling for number three. So you're, you're obviously going to get a dual threat quarterback. I think that the, the sort of way that that decision and, and sort of the way that the offense is crafted, I don't want to say it's like a fresh start because in a way it's not um, the issues that Anai has had as a play caller, as a game planner um, aren't going to all of a sudden be washed off the slate and they shouldn't, not, neither by fans nor by those who, who decide whether or not he's doing a good job uh, and ultimately decide whether or not he returns or what have you. Um, but I do think it's really interesting because you very rarely ever get this sort of – I mean, it, it, in a lot of ways, you're, you're going to keep a lot of the same – You know, the, you're going to keep the same staff, but it's going to feel new and different, right? Um, route concepts, how different will they be? when you are not trying to push the ball downfield. As I wrote the one on the wide receivers, I started to, to sort of have this um, mental picture, so to speak, of like when you're using smaller, shiftier guys and you have a lot more pieces in motion, I almost wonder um, how much, in, at least in terms of the elements of what Navy did um, that translate more to a spread if what Virginia really wants to be is something akin to that, right? Uh, a team who both can challenge you with a, a quarterback who can run. You and I have talked about like that, you know, that little that little hesitation that it causes a defense to not be sure of who's going to have what. Sure, it, it, it is now imperative that a quarterback makes the right decision on whether to hold the ball or, or, or to give, but also... Um, a lot of the stuff I think that, that Virginia was trying to do at the line of scrimmage this year on Kurt's plate of identifying not just you know the particulars of the of what the defensive look was, but also checking out of this play, uh, trying to also match personnel with the play. Um, uh, the quarterback's going to have to do some of that based on what we assume to be a lot of RPO stuff. Um, how that changes the offense, given personnel, like. You're not going to have Andre Lavroni to go downfield, but do you need a guy to go downfield? A piece like Donnie Dallin honestly would be important because he's a physical kid who, if you call some stuff over the middle, um, theoretically would seem to fit it. Um, but those quicker receivers, you know, the Tavares Kellys and Billy Kemp's, um, even Hugo, Hugo Abasi and and would be Theark Yeomans, like those four kids are sort of perfectly suited for where Virginia's going. And I kind of, there, I, I I can see the blueprint. Um, the details will obviously be important too. On the defensive side of the ball, you've got a, a lot of the same, but you're going to have a lot of different pieces. So Micah Kaiser, Quinn Blanding, Andrew Brown are all gone. Malcolm Cook not expected to return. I have not heard anything definitive on Malcolm other than just a small blurb uh, inside of a Jeff White story, as well as I believe it was Micah. Who was quoted as saying that? So they'll get, they'll have J Mac back. They'll have uh, Chris Peace back. Juan Thornhill, Tim Harris expected to return. Miles Robinson expected to be back in the mix as well. Bryce Hall is going to be back at DB. Um, you know they get Jermaine Crowell back. Defensive line wise, Eli Handback will be back. Um, you assume that Mandy Alonzo would would be in line to be a starter. Um, defensive line is probably going to be the place on the defensive side of the ball um, where you where you're the most you have the most questions, especially because that outside linebacker, that other outside linebacker spot, you're still, I, I would imagine, sort of guessing as to, to how that transitions. Um, but the more I think about the defense, um, I wonder. It's dumb to say that you can lose talented kids the way Virginia's going to lose talented kids from 17 to 18 and all of a sudden assume, like, oh, yeah, but they're going to be better. I hate that. 
I will say, though, I think some of these pieces might fit better together in the grand scheme of what Bronco wants to run. And I'm curious to get some quick thoughts from you on that front. Yeah, yeah. I mean, on the defensive side of the ball, I think that that could end up being the case. I mean, you lose two guys that are going to – at least two, probably three, that are going to play in the NFL. Um, and, I mean, they're not going to have – they're not going to have three NFL guys in their defense every year. But – I think, or three guys that are leaving the program that year that are going to be in the NFL. I mean, um, but at the same time, I think it's I think it's possible to. I mean, we've seen guys like Chris Moore and Jordan Mack and even Charles Snowden to a degree. I mean, guys that have kind of come in and learned the system and seem like good fits. Um, they've come in and played over older guys and guys that you might be able or you might have expected to you know play more right away, but. Um, I, I think that gives you some optimism going forward that, I mean, without a guy like Quinn, you know, you're replacing him with a guy, you know, maybe like Joey Blunt starts or if they move, you know, Juan back, um, that sort of thing. Uh, I mean, it, I think you kind of have to trust Bronco's ability to, to find the guys and, and put the guys in the right spots. Um, and, and, and let's be honest, I mean, Andrew Brown obviously might be the exception to this, but you're not losing what you lose in Micah is a very important quality, and that's just leadership and knowledge of the system and just a, a nose for the ball and, and an understanding, you know, just a good football IQ. And Quinn, I think you have the same thing. But neither of those guys are like elite, elite, elite athletes. Um, so it's not like those guys were holding the defense together like like at some other programs that that's the case. I mean, you have one or two guys that can fly around the field and make every play. I think Michael was really good at recognizing plays and, and stuff like that. But that's something that, I mean, everybody's different, but a guy like Jordan Mack, he seems to have that ability too. So I think he might have you might just lean more on guys like that going forward. But, um, I mean, honestly, the way I look at it is that's what they're going to have to rely on is is getting these guys that fit the system and putting them in place to replace these guys because, let's be honest, I mean, we like a lot of their recruiting classes, but they're not recruiting like Clemson and Alabama and, and all these other teams. So, I mean, they're not going to be able to just reload with five stars over and over again. And the other thing, too, is that it's not just that they're, you know, they're not recruiting at that level. The the difference to me, and and there's a difference. Okay, let me take a step back. If you are someone who gets excited about recruiting rankings, I think there's nothing wrong with that. There's a, there is a game aspect to recruiting rankings, right? Uh, my team scored more points than your team, right? My, my team has more stars than your team. Then there's also the way that the, the talent translates. And the thing about teams like Clemson, Alabama, who, who, whomever, whichever team is at the top of the food chain at the moment, um, what they get along with a bunch of stars are more sort of can't miss prospects. And when you there's have, just less variance. Right. And so what that means is is that the drop off, right, in terms of skill set or in terms of potential is just not there. And so what they're able to do is they're able to you that's not to say that there aren't some some of these kids that don't wash out they absolutely do i'm not trying to say every every highly rated kid is going to turn out to be a pro but that kid is is also more likely to be a pro and what that means is if you're in bronco situation sure you've got a handful of you know prospects that you sign that you really really like they guys that fit your scheme you you have a clear model on how these dudes fit so you take a kid like tc harrison you take a kid um, who who just looks the part, fits, you know, whether it's the the social, academic, as well as athletic, you know, sort of parameters and metrics that you 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 evaluate. And the way you're looking at the thing is, if you're if you're taking a kid like that, you have to do a substantial amount of development to get him to a place where he's a now I can't miss, right? Um, Whereas schools that ha- that that recruit at a much higher clip, they have more they have uh, they have more sort of talent at their disposal, and they don't have to do as much heavy lifting to get that talent to raise up a level, to raise up a notch in terms of um, in terms of potential. It's already kind of there, and so what you you're really doing then is you're kind of grooming it. 
Um, I always think of like Calipari, right? He brings in all these five star kids, and he, and it takes him a while at times because really what he's doing is he's massaging uh, each piece to, so it actually fits together on a team. Whereas Tony takes a piece that is maybe not necessarily as large of a piece of clay, but it's already sort of predetermined to be able to fit together with other pieces like it. Um, and I think ultimately what Bronco has shown is that he is a, a, especially talented uh, and gifted at being able to take a piece, put it with other pieces, and make it work, um, at least defensively. So I think you're right. I think Kaiser for exa- is a great example. Like, You could not ask for a better ambassador for the team. You could not ask for a better leader for them. He was the perfect guy at the perfect time in the perfect situation this year. If you had two J-Macs, a middle linebacker, who had experience, who had had production, you, would you be better off than if you had one Kaiser? Right, so if you had a if you had a second J Mac to plug in next to J Mac, like in a lot of ways, production is a function not just of talent but also of opportunity, and in this scheme, that's what you know you want. I always thought that Quinn's numbers were driven as much by uh, need as much as ability. Like I think the kid, he's a very talented player. I've always wanted to see him in a strong safety role. Um, you could you could you could call him free safety, but there are a lot of times on the field where it looked to me at least, and I'm just going to speak for myself, looked to me at least like he was playing a sort of true uh, or sort of strong safety sort of role rather than free. Um, but I I think as they go forward, clearly there's going to be somebody else who's in those spots. Um, in the case of the middle linebacker, it could be Zane Zandier. Um, he could kind of transition into what J Mac has been, and J Mac can be the new Micah. Um, there's a lot of options there at, at safety. This is especially interesting because when you bring Tim Harris back, you already have Bryce Hall, the Thornhill. My guess is you probably want to move Thornhill back to safety. But then again, one, he, he really falls out at corner. And then two, you know, Joey Blunt's pretty good. So I almost wonder if they don't actually, because defensive back seems to be where the talent of the defense will be next year. Right between Hall and Thornhill and Harris and uh, the younger kids like Blunt and Crowell, you get Miles Robinson back. Um, you, you got some, you got some talent back there. Um, and I mean, I don't know if anybody who who watched Joe White's film. I mean, that's a talented player. Um, he, and people are going to be so frustrated when he plays next year. But ultimately, if they decide to go nickel and make that nickel almost like their base defense, so like they play like a almost like a uh, a hybrid three, four nickel thing where uh, you've got guys who are playing uh, like, if, especially if it's an Elliot Brown or um, Charles Snowden situation, because if you don't have to fill in that other outside linebacker and you can allow that to be a, a nickel back, then maybe things change. But ultimately I, I think Bronco has shown he can take some pieces and make them fit together. The offensive side of the ball is and will remain until the answer is provided um, fantastically. Um, until that that thing actually, until they show it on the field, like that's the question mark for this team is going to be, how does the offensive line adapt to a dual threat quarterback? How who Who is the quarterback? How do they play? How do, What's the staff asking them to do? How do the wide receiver pieces fit together? What's the scheme look like? In a lot of ways, it's like Virginia's getting a new offensive coordinator, but with the same with all the baggage of the same of an offense coordinator. And the bad thing about that is, I have said that on a podcast talk, talking about Virginia football before. That that because you in the past, Mike Lennon got rid of, or excuse me, Virginia made Mike Lennon get rid of a bunch of coaches, and so you had the elements of new, right? New takes time to work itself out, right? You had the elements of new. But you still had the baggage of old. And I'm going to tell you what, fans, they are not real big on Robert and I right now. Like, And I'm preaching to the choir because I'm sure everybody who's listening is of that mindset. So in a way, I, 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 look, I look at the, at the way this thing stacks up, and I think, I, I think it's important for Virginia to try not to take a step back. Given the schedule that the Cavaliers have, I, I, I think it's very realistic they can get back to a bowl game. Can, even considering the some of the growing pains and shifts that were that, that were, were sure are coming. Um, that being said, the how on this season will matter, I think, dramatically more because of the way this season ended. And that's where I, 
I'm going to I'm going to leave this last little football tidbit up to you Ferber. Do you think the way that the first two seasons under Bronco Mendenhall have ended dramatically impact the way fans look at him as he goes into year three? Yes. Um, whether that's right or wrong, I mean, that's the debate. But I think that, the, <laughs> I mean, I looked at the message board um, and Twitter after the game against Navy, and it was pretty clear that it had an impact. I mean, that was the first time that I'd really seen a lot of people like, I don't think it's going to work out with this coaching staff. And my general thought is that's a rush to judgment and it's one game. And, you know, overall, it's still a multiple year rebuild. A lot of us, including myself, didn't think they would even get to a bowl game this year. So, And I'm not of the mindset that they would have been better off not going to a bowl game. I thought it was important for the program to get back and just end that streak and try to move forward um, and, and set that as a, one of the new expectations for this program that they're going to be able to get back to the postseason. Um, I, like Again, like I said earlier, I think it's going to come down in year three to how they look just as much as if they win. Um, obviously, you know, a close win, uh, you can play not so great and, and win a close game, and people don't really care. Um, let's be honest, that North Carolina game, um, they played games, they played, that my, they played better against Miami than they played against North Carolina. I don't really have a lot of issues saying that. Um, it's just, you know, with a win, you don't get the scrutiny. So, I think they need to have less games where they look outclassed by their opponent. And uh, that happened a few times a season against teams that, honestly, you know, they're not the quality of team that you, you should lose those kind of games to. Um, if that happened against Miami, you, you tip your cap and you say, well, that's a good team. It's on the road. Um, it is what it is. But, you know, for a staff that prides itself on preparation and, and honestly, like, looking for ways to overcome their disadvantages relative to some of their opponents, at least in the first few years, because they're operating at a talent and depth deficit. And, you know, they don't necessarily have the resources that all of the other programs that they play against do. Um, I mean, they just, you know, they're going to lose their strength coach to a program that can afford to pay him more. Um, and that's cool for him. But uh, UVA doesn't, you know, put as much money into the program as some of their competitors. And I'm not saying they can't win with what they have, but, you know, for a staff that prides themselves on we're going to play harder, we're going to play longer, we're going to outsmart you, outscheme you, um, it seems too often that that's not the case uh, against teams with relatively similar talent levels, like Boston College, like Pitt, like I mean Navy. Navy has less talent than UVA. It's it, that's clear. Um, so I, you know, if they want to show that they're moving things in the right direction, it's just a, it's just as much about how you look at a loss as you do in a win. And uh, you know, losing games like the one to Indiana where they just look totally outclassed, um, th there just needs to be few and fur that just needs to be few and further in between going forward if they want to show that they're actually making progress. Because you know, you can look at the win total and they did. I mean, they tripled it from the previous year, and that's awesome. But you know. It, if you still had a bunch of games where you look like a two and ten team, uh, I, I don't know how much progress you really made versus right. you got some breaks and the schedule wasn't that hard. So right. we'll see going forward. I mean, we'll know real quick if they're going to take a step back or not. Right. Um, with that, we're going to transition over to hoops, where uh, which is obviously a much happier topic at least as of now. We got plenty of time to talk football. Um, although spring will be here before we know it, that's the the way that thing goes. Um, so no. Football talk is over. We can you can snuggle in and 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 be excited about the warmth of the fire that is um, <laughs> that is uh, Tony Bennett's basketball program. Cavaliers go down to Blacksburg last night, and and honestly, like they just straight sunned uh, Virginia last night. There's just no way around it. Uh, that 16 to two run midway through the second half really broke uh, the Hokies, and they just never they were never never really close. Uh, Cavaliers led by as many as 33. The um, 26-point win um, matched UVA's largest margin of victory in Blacksburg, um, which I think goes back to like the 20s or something like that. Um, so for a team that had not fared very well, obviously, in Castle Coliseum, the this Cavalier team did not seem to be having much problem. They led bell to bell. Um, Virginia Tech struggled mightily. Um, 
And I mean, really went out with a whimper, honestly. Like it was, I mean, it was really sad, honestly, because I think this team is much more talented than what it showed last night. Hokies end up going two for 12 from three pointer, three point territory. Virginia took 25 threes, which still sort of surprises me. Um, but a lot of them, I don't, I didn't think they were jacking shots. They were sort of rhythm and room, you know, looks. That's, you know, what you want. Four kids in double figures for the Who's, uh, who shot, um, I believe 49% from the floor. Um, Tech, had it not been for a string of free throws from Justin Robinson in the first half, they would have gotten blown the door. They would have had the doors blown off a lot earlier. Um, points off turnovers. Virginia had 20, led that category 23 to four. Um, Virginia also had a 32 to 15 advantage in bench scoring. Um, Tech had 16 turnovers and 17 field goals in, in a game against their arch rival. Um, it was as bad as as those. I mean, for Virginia fans, obviously, it was lots of fun. Um, you know, it was. Uh, it was certainly, you know, for as somebody who owns a site with a message board, I was, I was tickled. I was very, very excited for the for what I was seeing because, you know what, I, I'm not gonna have to worry about you know nuclear meltdowns after this one. Um, I think the thing I want to focus in on before we start talking a little bit about Carolina is just the the use of Dre at the four. Um, because I think that is the difference. And I've said this a couple of times in different ways, but I think the, the way I want to say it is that's the difference to me between this being a good Virginia team and this being a great Virginia team. Um, we know, you know what, you know, you're going to get good, good defense and pretty consistent offense outside of the, obviously he had a couple struggles from Devin Hall, but, um, by and large, you, you figure out, you, you know what you're going to get, um, Cal guy is going to continue to be streaky. That's just who he is. He's a shooter by, by nature. Ty Jerome, I think, has found another gear, and if that's that confidence that he continues to say never dips if he keeps playing the way he plays, that's great. It's obviously good news for, for the Cavaliers. But DeAndre Hunter gets 14 points, four boards, uh, and a dime in 24 minutes. Um, was two for four from three, five of eight from the floor, two of three at the free throw line. The more that Dre plays and the more – like important minutes not just like minutes but important minutes he plays uh the better this team is and that's not look I'm not saying that I want him at the four because I don't think Salt's playing well or or whatever I actually think Salt was pretty good last night um what did he get six points uh in 17 minutes had a pair of blocks they had he had like they only give him credit for two blocks but I I feel like he had at least one more other than the the two he had on the same possession um they gave him, they didn't give him a steal, but he definitely had at least one um, on the next on the next possession down. Um, but Dre at the four is because of his versatility. If if that's a thing that can actually happen with regularity, and he said after the game that you know that's something they really you know been practicing on since he got back from Christmas, I guess. If that's a thing they can play with regularity, the 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 flexibility that that gives Tony in terms of lineups is pretty absurd because basically he can match up with whoever and however, um, and quite frankly, maybe they you know depending on how Dre plays and how consistently he can shoot it, now you can almost start to use your offense as a uh, as a weapon as opposed to reaction. Um, what were some of your long term sort of thoughts coming out of that one last night, Forever? Yeah. Um, it- I think Tony kind of hit the nail on the head at the beginning of his press conference. You know, it's awesome to see the win, and, and you kind of recognize the fact that Tech probably didn't play their best, and I think UVA's defense deserves a lot of credit for that. But it played out pretty much like a best-case scenario. Uh, it was a game that, going into it, and I think in the preview we mentioned, was a good spot for DeAndre to get back on track against a, a small lineup that usually goes four guards. And, you know, a lot of I would consider Chris Clark to be, a you know, like a guard forward full you know hybrid of some kind um and Blackshear basically being the only big guy um I mean start to finish they they controlled the game and and it was impressive I think on the defensive end especially they kind of set the tone there was a few minutes early in the game where both teams were kind of rusty and not shooting the ball well um UVA got a lot better looks than Tech did though and I think that's how UVA kind of set the tone you know with their defense and and kind of showing them that Tech was gonna have to go out and earn every point um, you know, it, yeah, it was good to see different guys get in the lineup and to see them kind of overcome some of the foul trouble that they got themselves into. I was really impressed with Mamadi. Um, besides the, you know, he had a couple fouls that were kind of questionable and, and I, I don't think one of them wasn't really his fault, but, um, other than that, I thought he, he, he had a really impressive role and performance uh, off the bench 
coming in and, and got some early points when Jack picked up the, the foul real quick. Um, Isaiah, you know, does what Isaiah does. He had a couple big blocks and contributed in a way that's meaningful. And obviously, you know, if Ty can keep playing this way on the offensive end, you're looking at a, a really good basketball team. Um, and, and the good news is, I mean, they did this with Kyle Guy kind of not exactly, like you said, not having his best game. And you know that he can play better than that. And if him and Ty can somehow combine for about what they did last night, every night, then they're probably going to do all right. Um, you know, it, it's the same story as a lot of other Virginia teams. You know, you just, if they can be consistent enough on the offensive end, and you know, they're going to bring the defense every game. So it's just going to come down to, can they avoid these really cold stretches and, and, and try to just push through against teams like Tech on the road. And, I mean, yesterday's game wasn't really in doubt. Um, but even if Tech had come out and shot the lights out, I think UVA still would have probably won the game. Yeah, because you get, you did get the sense in the second half that, that Virginia was essentially just running its stuff and having success. The difference was Tech just was not having any success. Yeah. Other, I mean, if UVA wanted to, they could have scored 90 points. Yeah, no doubt. Like they just they just pulled back at the end. Yeah, I mean, Tech had, what, a 10? What did I what did I look at it? Uh, I think it was a 10-0 run from the um, – let's look. From the 122 mark on, 2, 3, 6, 8, 10. So 10 run from the 122 mark on. So it was 75-47. Yeah, I mean, if you watch the highlights that uh, the ACC Network puts on YouTube, which is, I mean, it's you don't have to, but it's a quick like two-minute highlight video. And literally, I think there's three tech highlights in the video, and two of them are from the last 90 seconds of the game when they were down 30 points. Yep. So I don't. I was kind of like, okay, well, that kind of sums everything up. The one thing I want to touch on before we really get into Carolina was there was a couple. There were a couple of moments where. Look, we know Virginia is good defensively. The, the the design of the beast sort of makes it so, right? But there were a couple moments, the type, the type of defense that you sort of fantasize about, which is that dudes just react without, you know, there, there's no specific plan of, hey, we're going to double this guy in this specific place when he gets the ball based on, you know what I mean? But, like, there were a couple of times where they um, they they doubled – not necessarily a, what I would expect to be a true post double, but because of where they were on the floor relative to like there was a feel for it. You know what I mean? Like almost like you were uh, you were the one like there was somebody with a controller who could like circle button over and select which player he wanted to do something because something occurred to you like, oh, wait, look, he's in a bad spot. There were a the couple of these moments through that game. To, that just sort of screamed at me like, hey, man, not only is this group pretty good and obviously one of the best defenses in the country, but they're they're actually starting to scratch the surface of how they can become better. And, and the way that they become better, you know, that, that Akeel Mitchell, Joe Harris team was really good at the group moving as a group. And so what that meant was that, like, every pass could be, uh, could, could be altered. Um, dudes were just sort of everywhere. Because they had just a great feel, not just for what they were supposed to do, but what everybody was actually doing and feeling and thinking. And if when the when the defense moves like a phalanx, it is it is ridiculously difficult to score against. And there were a couple of times last night where I saw that. And to me, the offense is always, you know, for for Virginia team, the offense is always going to be the 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 second half of the question because you know everything starts with the defense. But when the defense is that good, it 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 takes the pressure off of the offense in a way that I honestly think was part freeing. I, I think some teams you, we've seen where the offense has helped generate defense. And some teams you've seen where the defense tries, you know, basically they get going. So they generate that, that kind of spurs the offense on. I'm still not sure which way this team goes because earlier in the year, I thought, you know what, this is a more offensive minded team. When they, when they feel good offensively, they seem to play good defense. But last night, I mean, they had completely handed themselves over to the defensive side. And I feel like that's where the offense came from. If that's going to be the way this thing works, this team has a lot of potential. Um, now, obviously Saturday is a, is a huge game. I mentioned in the open, you know, Carolina's loss last night. Um, to to Florida State down in Tallahassee, uh, uh, an eighty one to eighty defeat to the Seminoles. Uh, they come in at um, twelve and three, one and one in the ACC. So it takes a little bit of shine off of this matchup on Saturday. Um, but this is a Carolina team currently in the top twenty five nationally in adjusted defensive efficiency and adjusted de- offensive efficiency. One of the faster teams in the country, top fifteen in tempo. Uh, a team that 
I feel like we know exactly who Carolina is uh, because the, this is who Carolina always is. The difference is is that they don't have what I would describe as your traditional sort of Carolina tandem in the post. You know, there's not a um, you know a a, a, um, a big guy and a kind of big guy. Um, I, I I think Luke May's skill set is such that he can play a little bit inside, but he's not really a post. He's more of a stretch four, but not very stretched. Um, he, he's a more rugged stretch four, but he, he needs a better better mover than than the many rugged sort of stretch fours are. The Brooks kid is intriguing to me because you know he's six nine, but he's not somebody who you know jumps off the page. They've also got a couple of other freshman uh, bigs who who play some who get some burn. But overall, this team is Joel Berry. This is Joel Berry's team, uh, and. Everybody else sort of feeds along with him. What are your overall thoughts uh, about Carolina uh, going into to Saturday's matchup against UVA? Yeah, I mean, I wrote about it a little bit in the uh, power rankings that uh, you should definitely check out if you haven't already <laughs> on CavsCorner.com. Um, shameless plug. Uh, Nothing wrong but, with it. <laughs> yeah, sure. It's the CavsCorner.com podcast. Exactly. So, um, yeah, so, I mean, obviously everybody knows they have talented guys. Um Cam Johnson, I think, can be the X factor. He's just kind of getting back into basketball after he missed some time with a knee thing. Um, so, you know, how he impacts the game going forward will be interesting. Uh, obviously, containing uh, Joel Berry will be huge. Uh, Theo Pinson, another X factor type guy. Um, UVA has done well against teams like this in the past, and I think this will be a higher scoring game again. A lot of times, you know, when UVA and Carolina get together, it's not like a 90 to 85 game, but it's usually a higher scoring game than UVA will usually play. Uh, last year, we saw two very different games when they played. UVA got whooped down in Chapel Hill when they just looked aimless on offense. And then beating Carolina in Charlottesville, I think it was just over a week later, uh, kind of got them out of that funk. Um, in a game, I think it was like the lowest scoring game North Carolina's had in years and years. I, I forget exactly what the stat was, but, um, you know, it's, it's a game that UVA has traditionally done okay in against Carolina. Um, I think that this is an opportunity for UVA to get off to a great start to league play. Uh, Carolina is still kind of finding themselves. They, they, you know, they hung on to beat Wake and they deserve credit for that. Just like UVA beat Boston College in a close game. Uh, and then they lost to a good Florida State team on the road, and I don't think there's a lot of shame in that either because Florida State's pretty good. Um, but obviously with the loss to Wofford and, and coupled with those two results, uh, not exactly like a ringing endorsement for Carolina being a complete team that's ready to come out and dominate. So, uh, I mean, UVA's had a good track record of playing at home, and, and the fact that the game's in Charlottesville I think could be an X factor. Um, I mean, right now I'll tell you that in the preview tomorrow, I'll, I'll predict Virginia to win the game. Uh, Spoiler be alert, shot. man. Spoiler yeah. alert. Goodness. Wow. Well, well, by the time people listen to this, they, <laughs> they might have already read <laughs> that's, it. So. That's true. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be that surprised if Carolina came in and won because they have the talent to do so, and obviously they have guys that have been around and won a lot of big games. But UVA usually does really well against them at JPJ, and I think that will continue this week. Uh but Carolina will – I mean, I had them third in the power rankings. I think they'll end up being one of the top teams in the league. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think the difference for me with this Carolina team is it's weird to see – to look up Ken Palm and see a team – see a Carolina team that is better on defense than on offense. Yeah, their defense, honestly – I mean, usually their offense is one of the best ones, but their defense the last few years has been better than it was in the past. They just play a quicker tempo. Yeah, so exactly. Sometimes they just get into these shootouts. But, I mean, like last year and the year before where they got the two Final Four trips, they had, they had decent defensive teams, especially when, like, Bryce Johnson was there. Yeah. So, realistically, I, I mean, I'm not sure what they're going to get out of Cam Johnson. Um, at this point, I don't think anybody really knows. Um, I, I, I He did have a huge game against UVA last year the year before. Yeah, like, yeah, his, his, yeah his, his past against UVA is pretty strong. He played 25 minutes last night. Um, scored seven points on. Um, yeah, I mean it's clear. Like watching that, I watched a lot of that game. He's it's clear that he's still kind of just finding his way, and obviously he's new to the system. But he's the kind of guy that, you know, you look at their team and 
he's not really accounted for because he hasn't really played much. So, I mean, he's the kind of guy that can kind of come out of nowhere mm-hmm. and, and burn you. Well, one, you look, he's a 6'8", 200-some-odd-pound um, multifaceted player. But listen, this kid played, he only scored seven points, but you know what he did? He had six assists and he had eight rebounds, which I believe, if I'm looking at their numbers correctly, he had a team-high eight rebounds, um, which had it not been for Terrence Mann on the other side, he would have had a game high eight rebounds. So I he's he's impacting the game even if he's not scoring a bunch of points. But you know, given his past and given his skill set, eventually he's gonna go there. Like eventually he's he's gonna crack that um crack that ceiling that he's sort of hit since he returned from the neck injury. Um but ultimately I I, I don't want to make this too simplistic, but this thing comes down to Joel Barry. Can the Cavaliers stop Joel Barry? Because in his career, he has been a Cavalier killer, um, at least as I remember. Now, I haven't, dig- I haven't been digging in the numbers all night or anything, but it just seems like every time Joel Berry can make a big play against Virginia, he does. Um, that's not to say Virginia hasn't had success against Carolina during his time in Chapel Hill. I'm just saying that ultimately, this is the matchup. Watching Virginia play defense against Tech and against BC, I have to admit, I'm, I feel pretty confident about the Cavalier defense right now in a way that I didn't expect to when they played the smaller, quicker guards. How do you do it, though, when you have pretty elite talent around him? I mean, Kenny Williams was a kid that obviously Virginia really wanted and wanted badly, but I think he's a, he's developed into a really nice player. Luke May as well. Uh, Theo Pinson, I think, is a really athletic kid. Cam Johnson, we, we've talked about. Not really sure what to make of Carolina's bench, honestly. Um, the Felton kid... Uh, the uh, Robinson kid, like they're talented. I'm just not sure what to really make of them. Um, and they don't seem to have a lot of impact. It seems like Roy's sort of, um, you know, whittled things down already. So in the big scheme of things, if if Virginia is able to sort of, I don't want to say neutralize Joel Berry because I don't think you're going to do that. The kid's going to play like 37 minutes or something nonsense. Um, you know, I don't think he's going to go for 28 and, um, on and you know, make four of, uh, eight from from three like he did against uh, Florida State, but he could have a good game. Ultimately, to me, it it's about sort of disrupting Carolina enough and making them work harder on defense. But like you said, Carolina's defense has been better this season. Um, the schedule maybe not quite as maybe challenging as some of the Carolina teams uh, of the past. They usually had played a pretty strong schedule. Um, probably it, yeah, I mean the teams that they play just like Ohio State. Yeah, is not very yeah. Good. Like, Michigan's not. I mean, Mich- they lost to Michigan State, which is the one where they got trounced. They had that Wofford loss at home, which still makes no sense. Um, and obviously they go to Tallahassee, which I mean, you know, Leonard has it could could have it cooking again. I don't know how Leonard does it. That honestly. team is just a, you just like I said in the in the power rankings that you just roll the balls out with that team. It's just the same group. Yep. They replace the pieces, but he has like a system kind of like UVA does and they just the new the pieces fit the right in, in and, they, and they go. Yeah. You just keep keep clicking. So I wish I had to see I could see Carolina with one more ACC game before they played UVA. Like I wish I could flip flop this Boston College um, matchup that that Carolina has on Tuesday night. I wish I could flip that and see um yeah, I mean, you'd feel a lot better about them if they blew somebody out. Like that's kind of how. Yeah, I feel exactly. About it. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like the loot, like beating Wake close and then losing a close into Florida State. I don't really think either of those really tell you a whole lot. I mean, that would be like judging UVA just based on the the close win over BC. Um, but you know, now they have a blowout over Tech on their resume, so right? You know a little bit more about where they are, right? Uh, Luke May had thirty. Uh, excuse me, had seventeen. Uh, 17 and 15, sorry, against uh, Wake. Um, I can't remember. I was going to say 30. <laughs> sorry, I'm looking at the wrong number. But one thing I did want to mention about Carolina I thought was interesting. So we think of Virginia's defense as being so good on the glass. Carolina's actually better right now. Um, fit, they're currently fifth in um, rebound percentage uh, versus Virginia's currently in the in the 20s, I think. Um now, effective field goal percentage, Virginia, much better. Um, turnover percentage, Virginia, much better. Carolina does not seem to force many turnovers. Virginia doing a pretty good job of that this year. Um, so, ultimately, it, it sort of feels like this comes down to Virginia's offense, which I guess in a lot of ways, a lot of games for Virginia does because you sort of know what to get from their defense. Um, the way they're playing, I, I mean, uh, Kim Palm has this thing as like a 75% um, win percentage 
for for UVA. I I think that's a that's a strong number considering you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, it's just Ken Palm always seems to favor UVA in games like this yeah. against teams like Notre Dame and North Carolina, teams that get up and down. Because I think that the way that the system works like on a per-possession basis, UVA just has the tempo usually regresses more towards what they do. Right. So He currently has UVA at this point, at least in terms of percentages, if you go game by game, the only one he has currently as a loss is the, uh, the Duke game in Durham. Um, but... I mean, I think it's going to be a great one. Um, I, I don't know if we want to give any predictions. We don't typically sort of do that for basketball. But I will say this. Yeah. If uh, if Ty Jerome continues to play the way he plays, I, I just don't see Virginia losing. Um, and I don't mean to put the whole game on him. Uh, I think Virginia has gotten a lot of nice contributions from a, a host of characters. Um, my sneaky suspicion is Nigel Johnson is going to have to play a, a, a significant amount. Um, I, I, I'm a little worried about Ty trying to stay in front of um, – Joel Berry and Nigel Johnson would be sort of a, a perfect little uh, um, water bug point guard to stick on him. If you know, yeah, I mean, even when Barry wasn't the primary guy, uh, I remember I think it was two years ago when they came to Charlottesville. You know, everybody's worried about Bryce Johnson. He was a you know potential ACC Player of the Year, um, and Barry was the one that ended up lighting him up for like the twenty something points. Yeah, because he just you know he just has a way about him. You know, he finds ways to get. He's open. a crafty. He he's a crafty dude, shots. man. Yeah, yeah, he has a good game. Well, uh, I think that's a good place to put a pen in it. We'll be back next week. Hopefully, um, God, I did it again. I didn't mention Dave until the very end again. Sorry, sorry, Dave. Uh, Dave's uh, transition from old shop to new shop should be complete this week, so we should have him back on the podcast next week, so you won't have to worry about just me and Ferber um, yakking it up. Um, but hopefully we'll be able to uh, to get him back on the show. But again, I want to uh, thank Give, a, give everybody a big thank you for all of your support in 2017 and certainly for uh, continuing to listen to the show. Uh, really appreciate it. Um, so for Justin Ferber, I'm Brad Franklin, publisher of castcorner.com. Thanks for coming out. We'll see you soon.